Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I started thinking about this and thinking, so why are they just telling me it's been delayed? Well, I guess part of the reason is they don't want to turn around and say, well, there was a mechanical fault because <laughs> that starts everybody wondering, you know, well, does that mean it, you know, what type of mechanical fault was, was happening? Fine is the F-bomb of customer experience. Fine does not mean fine. Colin, you're married, right? Yes, and my marriage is fine. Your marriage is fine, <laughs> okay. <laughs> This idea of I'll be back type of behavior and actually coming back resonated with me all from this conversation I had with the CEO of a company that franchises hair salons. And I thought every company should be thinking like this. So, Ryan, we've got a real privilege today. Uh, We've got Shep Hyken on the show. Shep, welcome. Hey, it is great to be here. And actually, it's great to be back. Yes, you've been on the show before, which is, it's always nice to have somebody, somebody coming back. I mean, and in fact, that's what we're going to be talking about today, isn't it, Shep? Before we go on to that, let me, let me just introduce Shep. If you don't know Shep Hyken, you should, okay? So Shep is one of the leading lights in customer service and customer experience. We've known each other for a number of years now, and Shep is a Hall of Fame speaker, and he's written, um, I think this is your eighth book that you've now written, Shep, is that right? Number eight, yeah. Number eight. Your other books have been a a New York Times bestseller and a Wall Street Journal bestsellers. So really good to have you on the show. And you've got a new book coming out, Shep, which we're going to talk about today. Yes, yes. It's coming out actually this week. So like, get it today. Wonderful. While they're in stock. (laughs) While they're in stock, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it's about? Because I know that this is a subject that uh, is near and dear to Ryan and my heart. Sure, sure. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Love it. And it's great to be back. And coincidentally, the book is titled, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. If you hear those three words, I'll be back, you're probably thinking, does it have anything to do with the Terminator and Arnold Schwarzenegger? And officially, the answer is no. However, after about three paragraphs into the outline, I started to put the book together. I thought, you know what? I'll bet there. I'll bet we can tie it in a little bit. So in the background, deep in the background, I talk a little bit about like customers. Why would they terminate their relationship with you? You know, the words you don't want them to say are like hasta la vista, baby. I'm so glad that you you took that approach, Chef, because I've been saying for years that the customer service of robot assassins is really an under-researched area, and uh, and we all need to get better at that. Right. So I've taken a major dive into the whole idea of robot assassins. Good. And, uh, good. I'm, <laughs> I'm so – this book's going to flap the shelves, I'm telling you. <laughs> Matter of fact, there is a chapter in the book about how you can't automate the relationship, and those robots are typically <laughs> assassins. Uh, you know, and why didn't I think about this before I wrote the book? Thank you for setting me up on this. <laughs> but truthfully, the digitization of the customer experience is potentially the assassin that's going to destroy the relationship you have with your customer if you don't balance it out correctly. 
I could not be more pleased with how deep you're going on this metaphor. <laughs> please keep going, please. <laughs> well, hey, let's talk. Uh, I think this would be a good idea. Where did this idea come from? This has been bouncing around in my head for about four or five years. I did a speech, and part of what I do for a living is go around the world and deliver speeches, uh, and that's how I met Colin and Ryan. Uh, I know one day you and I are going to meet in person. I don't think you and I have yet met in person, have we? No. Uh, it turns out I also, my robot assassin, don't have a physical body. <laughs> this is how I get you know, Anyway, I'm hired to do a speech for a group of salon owners, you know, where you get your hair cut. Okay. Ironically, they hired the bald guy to (laughs) keynote the speech of salon owners and managers. They didn't give you a wig, did they, Shit. No, no. But I wanted to do my like market research. I said, what do I do? Go in there and say, I want a haircut. No, I don't have, uh, there's nothing for them to cut. Anyway, there are about a thousand of them. And the CEO of the organization said to me, hey, we love measuring stats and facts. And I was doing an interview to prepare for the speech. Uh, Like, what are the stats? Customer satisfaction, net promoter score, all of the measurements that we're interested in. But he said to me something really important. He says, the most important measurement that we look at isn't any of the typical ones. It's the actual behavior of the customer. Do they come back? And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. And he went on to say that there's a number of different types of customers that these salons have. Like somebody with long hair would probably come in more often than somebody with really short hair. Or maybe it's once a month, once every six weeks. Anyway, they have this different group, these different groups of customers, and there's a cadence that all these customers have that are good, regular, loyal customers. And he said, we try to make our new customers or the once in a while customers start to fit into that regular cadence. We are really looking at that behavior and we want to turn the first time customer into a regular customer. And that's what we focus on. Where do they belong? What is their journey supposed to look like? And let's make sure their behavior in the future reflects it. Hence, when they say, I'll be back, they mean it and they really do come back. Yeah, and now you're talking our language because, as we know, there's a big difference between what people say and what people do. And and how many times have you turned around and somebody and said, the classic, I guess, is the restaurant, isn't it? When they come around and say, is everything okay? And you go, yeah, it's fine. And it's not. Yeah. And we know what fine means, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fine is is not fine. Fine. And, and we joked about this before we started, but here's the opportunity to say it. Fine is the F-bomb of customer experience. Fine does not mean fine. Colin, you're married, right? Yes. And my marriage is fine. Your marriage is fine. Okay. <laughs> now, if you put an adjective in front of that word fine, it would be good. If you say, oh, we've got a mighty fine relationship. That's different. But, but when, if you ever sense there's any trouble and you say to your wife, is everything okay? And she says, it's fine. What yeah. does that mean? Yeah. It means that I've got a problem. That's what it means. <laughs> exactly. At best, that's all it means is you've got a problem. But but seriously, our goal is to create relationships that are better than just fine, better than okay. And and I talk a little bit about that in every single book. And in, in this book, I'll be back. I have the fundamental chapter. It's in every book, it's in every speech that I ever do. And it talks about how you need to be better than average consistently and predictably. Not much better, just a tiny bit better. But when you are consistently and predictably better, the customers come back. And by the way, to your point, both Ryan and Colin, you guys talk about behavior, the science of the behavior 
behind what drives that loyal experience. And so this ties right into that. Yeah, no, absolutely, it does. One of the things that we always try and do, Shep, on the, on the show is to try to get practical. So is there anything you would be, and I know part of the book is about culture and all that type of stuff. So tell us some of your, your thoughts about, it's easy to say it, I'll be back, you know, and, and you're trying to get loyal customers. But what's, a, what's some of the tips and tricks on how to get that done with customers? Sure. Now you use the word practical. And if you know anything about me, everything in my books that I write about, you'll yep. find practical how-tos. I'm all about strategy and I have a book that does focus a lot on strategy, but when you get right down to it, what makes that strategy work are the tactics behind it. We talk about the most important measurement in business, which has to do with I'll be back. As I was mentioning, you've got your customer satisfaction scores, you know, on a scale of one to 10, were you happy with this? Did you find the product great, the service great, whatever. NPS, what's the likelihood you recommend? But all of those are history lessons. We want to learn from history, and that's very important. Don't discount this. You should still do it. You want to learn from history and make yourself better as a result of what you learn, or you want to keep doing what seems to be working. But at the same time, you want to focus on the future, which is that behavior. We talk about the foundational concepts such as amazement, the culture challenge, as I call it. I share with you six or seven. I actually have a whole six-step process I've written about, but in this book, what I did is I blew it out a little bit bigger and added a few extra steps or ideas that would help you drive that culture. Ten reasons you would want to terminate a relation or a customer would want to terminate their relationship with you. And I'll just tell you what one of the biggest, uh, the, the top two, apathy and rudeness. And I'm not sure which one's worse to act like you don't care or just treat the customer in an improper way. Both of them come across the wrong way and you're destined to lose business. But your customers want people that are knowledgeable. They want to talk to the right person. They want to get to these you know, people easily and seamlessly and without friction. And if you want to get into it, I could give you a quick rundown on this six-step process I have to creating this I'll be back experience for the customer. Yeah, no, I think that would be good. I think the listener would like that. Yeah, go on. Okay. Now, to me, this is like very, very practical, as you say. And I think it's probably the most powerful chapter in the book. I'll go through it real quickly. And if you want to blow it out with me and ask some questions, you can. But number one, you should ask, why would a customer do business with me instead of anyone else, instead of my competitor? And you need to be very specific. You can't say things like, oh, we have great people. Well, that's what they say. Everybody says that. You really need to come up with a true differentiator. Number two, why would a customer go to the competition instead of you? Hmm, that's important. Do we know enough about our competitors to recognize why those customers won't do business with us. Now you write these answers down. And then number three is to keep pace. And by the way, I'm going through this really quickly, but keeping pace means what are they doing that you could be doing? And if they are doing something that you could be doing, here's my suggestion. Don't copy it because that just commoditizes you. Mm, yeah. The example that I like to use is somebody really smart one day in the hotel business decided, hey, let's give our guests a newspaper. And they tell the guests, hey, when you when you get up in the morning, you come down to get your coffee, there's going to be a newspaper right over here waiting for you. And then the hotelier across the street said, hmm, they're giving away newspapers, but let's make it better. Instead of telling them to come downstairs and pick it up, let's leave it at their door. 
See the difference? Now, eventually everybody did that. But that's, I call that, you know, the commodity war. How do you decommoditize yourself? Try to make it better. Anyway, so number three, keep pace. Number four, sit down with your team and have a discussion about all the companies you love to do business with inside and outside your industry. If you're in the manufacturing world, you might have an inside salesperson at one of your vendors that you just love. That's why you love doing business with them. Maybe you love Amazon and everything they do. Maybe you have a favorite restaurant and what is it that they're doing? Write down the names of these companies and organizations and why you love doing business with them. Make it a big, robust list. And then step five is to say, what is on this list of ideas that these other companies are doing that we're not doing? that we could be doing. And this is what's moving you from best in industry to best in class worldwide, because now you're going outside of your industry to look at companies and incorporate some of what they're doing. And finally, number six, once you've gone through these five steps and maybe started to implement some of them, you come back to this question. You don't do this all in the same meeting, by the way. This could be a question you ask again a month from now or six months from now. It's now that we've done this, why would someone want to do business with us now instead of the competition? And it just brings it back full circle. So those are the six steps, hopefully very practical information. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's good. It actually reminds me, Ryan, you remember we did the podcast a little while ago about best practice? Absolutely. Do you want to tell Chef about that? No, I mean, it was a similar a similar argument. I, I just argued that best practice tends to be inherently reductive where we all end up copying each other with best, best practice. Yep. And so I think it's consistent with Shep's argument that we would end up just commoditizing that experience or service because now everybody's chasing after the same goal instead of trying to better serve the need that underlies that action. It made me think, Shep, when we would we'd be doing this podcast, we'll put a link in the show notes for this podcast. But that's the trouble, isn't it? It is looking across your industry and saying, what's the best practice? If everybody then just copies that. I love the the bit that you're saying here about what are the best companies out there, which it doesn't therefore have to be in your industry. And you shouldn't just have your blinders on to go, let me think about our industry. It's what other ideas are there that are out there? And you have to read between the lines. So when we do this exercise in the workshops that our, our trainers deliver, I'll share with you a true story. First of all, what company do you think is always talked about when we do this exercise? There's one company that comes up almost every single time. You can guess what it is. It's very easy. Disney, Amazon. Amazon, right, right. By the way, Disney is brought up quite a bit as well. Disney, Walmart. These are very consumer-focused, frontline-focused, but Amazon is is probably the number one company. And so I actually watched this happen where our trainer said, okay, so what do you like about Amazon to the person that brought up Amazon? And this is what the gentleman said. He said, I love the fact that when I place an order, I immediately get a confirmation email that says your order's been placed. And then they inform me that the order is shipped and there's tracking information. And when it arrives, they they actually send me a message that it's arrived and they may even include a picture of it leaning up against my door. And the, I guess, leader, whoever was in charge of that meeting, I, I don't remember if it was CEO or, or just some high level person said, well, Amazon is an e-commerce company. We don't do that. And I don't see how any of that could apply to what we do. Right. 
And I actually had to step in at this time and said, uh, you know, they discussed it, but they missed the point. The point is, is that Amazon, it's not about the emails. Yeah, sure. It's about the information. It's about the fact that you've given your customer confidence that something's happened. And you do that by delivering information. And that gives them a sense of control over what's going on. And uh, that sense of control is what makes them feel great about doing business with you. Everyone has business problems. Everyone would like them solved. And what better way than asking two experts to weigh in on what to do? This is the essence of a new spot we have in the show called I'm in a Pickle. All we want you to do is to email us with your problems and Ryan and I will give you our best advice of what to do to resolve them. Hey Ryan, I'm really glad we're doing this, mate, because I've had this ingrained tone now for some time and I'm not certain what to do. Colin, let me stop you. We've discussed before no toenail discussions on the podcast. (laughs) Not your personal problems, business problems. It could be, how do you get your senior management to be more engaged in customer experience? How can you reduce the level of churn you have with customers? Or something specific, like how you should set the pricing for a service. And if you want to be anonymous, that's absolutely fine. We will simply look at all the problems and come up with the answers. So just email us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com and outline the problem. And Brian, are you sure we can't sort out my ingrown toenail? Uh, Well, Colin, you know I do have a machete collection, so maybe we can. (laughs) What a great example. I, I think far too often... We go out looking for wisdom at the level of the tactic, right? Oh, Amazon is sending emails to notify that it's shipped from their warehouse instead of looking for insights around meeting the needs of the customer. Just as you said, if the need is I want to feel like I'm in control and I want to feel informed, there could be any number of tactics that could do that. And that's the insight that we can then kind of take advantage of. Right, right. It's all control. Have you ever been, I fly a lot, and Colin, I know you do too, Ryan, I'm not sure, because I know you're you're there in Atlanta and you work at the university as well, but I'm sitting at the airport and I know my flight's at four o'clock in the afternoon and it's now 345 and there's no plane at the gate, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody around is fidgeting, they're antsy, people are walking up to the ticket counter asking the agent, where's the plane, where's the plane? And the agent keeps answering the same thing over and over again, but only to the people that ask. The rest of us are just like, it's not here, what's going on, right? All the agent would have had to have done would be to pick up the loudspeaker and say what actually happened that day. Hey everyone, obviously there's no plane here and let me tell you why. The plane left 45 minutes late from its last destination. It's actually due on the ground here in about five minutes. And once we get people off the plane, we'll immediately put you on the plane. We're probably going to be about 20 minutes or so late taking off. But I just want to let you know if there's any other update, I'll give it to you. But for right now, that's the plan. And you know what happens when, and I've been there where this type of thing happens, where the agent does make the announcement, everybody in the whole area just kind of, it's a sigh of relief. You can feel it. It's because they were given information. But I'll tell you what it seems to me is about, I don't know, I want to say 15 years ago, everybody started to think that way. And you started to get more proactive information. 
And then what tends to happen now, as you, as you were telling me your story, it tends to be when they make an announcement, it's uh, your plane has been delayed. And you go, I know that. I'm bloody sitting here. And I know it's been delayed. <laughs> uh, what I want to know is why it's been delayed mm-hmm. and when it's going to get here. Now, as I've sat there, and I'm sure you're exactly the same as me, Shep and Ryan, in the sense that you can't now have a customer experience without pulling it apart and thinking about what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing and blah, blah, blah. I started thinking about this and thinking, so why are they just telling me it's been delayed? Well, I guess part of the reason is they don't want to turn around and say, well, there was a mechanical fault because <laughs> it starts everybody wondering, you know, well, does that mean it, you know, what type of mechanical fault was was happening? I'm trying to say that it feels like it's gone backwards over the last few years and it's become more generic. And I think from what you're saying, you need to be much more specific and proactive and honest with the customers uh, as to what's happening. Because we know things go wrong. I mean, everyone knows things go wrong, but it, it's a question of how do you deal with it when things go wrong? That's the, that's the issue, isn't it? Right. And customers feeling in control, even when they don't have control. Yeah. I mean, we don't have control of that plane landing on time or not, but knowing what's going on gives us that sense of control, makes people feel really, really good. And by the way, I realized that there's a lot of people listening to this podcast right now that are probably in the B2B world and wondering, does any of this really apply to me? I mean, we're talking about Amazon. Same as when we did that exercise, that leader of the company said, hey, we're not in the e-commerce business, but actually this, everything we're talking about totally applies. A great example that I love to share is in the healthcare world, there was a hospital, one of my clients, and they had a half million dollar piece of machinery that they had ordered to be delivered. It was a piece of x-ray or imaging equipment, as they called it. It showed up like really far ahead of schedule. And you would have think that everybody would be happy when something shows up early. But in this particular business, no, we're not ready to receive it. And it's big and it needs to go into a room that needs to be properly prepared with the right electrical capacity, with a certain cleanliness, et cetera, et cetera. This is what one of the C-suite people said in the meeting. They said, you know, it's like, I order toilet paper from Amazon and they tell me it's on its way. Why couldn't this company inform us that the piece of machinery was being delivered when it was? Sure. And I'm thinking they just compared a half a million dollar piece of machinery to toilet paper from Amazon. Sure. Yeah. And I think the, the core message is you have to put yourself in the customer's shoes and look at those things through the customer's eyes because you could turn around i'm sure they were actually patting themselves on the back going great we've got a delivery coming in and we're delivering a week early um but if they'd only told the customer the customer would have told them that you know that would be that would be a, a problem basically right and so that's a huge idea that every company every individual in the company needs to be thinking is this really right for the customer put yourself in the customer's shoes but furthermore there's the example of a customer, in this case, the hospital, that's really this company selling B2B, but the customer's perception of what great services is based on B2C. So don't think that your customers aren't comparing whoever you are and whatever you do to Amazon, to the Ritz-Carlton, to you know all those famous companies that are doing amazing jobs when it comes to customer experience. 
you, know, you don't necessarily get to choose what your customers are going to compare you to. Hey, you have no control over that. And I think that sort of whole area of loyalty is incredible. Let me, whilst we're exchanging airline stories, let me tell you one of my favorite ones. I was sitting on this flight once and then suddenly this announcement came over and we were, we were in, in um, just boarded the plane. Announcement came over, Mr. Shaw, do you make yourself known? So made myself known and they said, Mr. Shaw, would you just mind coming with me for a moment? And we walked up to a sort of a quiet area on the plane. And they said, we've got a problem with this flight. We are going to cancel this flight. But because you are high level in the frequent flyer miles, et cetera, et cetera, we wanted to tell you first because we've booked you onto another flight and we need to get you off here now before everybody else knows. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> it was. Could you go and grab your bags? Now, I have to say, when I went to grab my bags, I think everybody looked at me as if I was being arrested or something mm -hmm. like that. But it, what that really made me think was, yeah, that's a good way of dealing with a high-level, important customer who you're now adding value to. And that sort of that really made me go, yeah, actually, they do look after me. And that does create some, some loyalty. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I love it when that happens. And they were looking out. And by the way, they were proactive. They made you feel special. They did everything that would emotionally tie you to them. Not just a process, but something that emotionally drives your behavior, which I know is what you love to talk about. No, absolutely. Let's talk about something which Ryan and I find fascinating. We talked a bit about this on the, on the podcast last time, but I'd be interested in your take on it. And the difference between inertia and loyalty. So let me explain what I mean. There are so many companies out there that think they've got loyal customers, but they haven't. What they've got is customers that either can't be bothered or will find it too difficult to move. It made me think of, I don't know which number it was, one of your, uh, I think it's one of the first two of your process about what are other companies doing? What are you doing? Why would somebody stay with you? Because I think there's a lot of organizations that mistake inertia for loyalty. What, what's your thoughts? So actually, I think inertia is a great way of saying it. And to me, when people talk the type of people we are <laughs> who are focused on service and experience. When we talk about inertia, we talk about the reason a customer stays with us is because it's sticky. It's hard to change bank accounts. You've got to shut an account down. You got to open it up. You got to do all the paperwork. I'm just going to put up with it until finally I can't stand it anymore. But really what we're getting down to is what is the difference between a repeat customer and a loyal customer? And why are they a repeat customer? And the why behind that is super important. And we cover this in the book, I'll Be Back. We cover exactly that difference. By the way, repeat customers are gold, provided that the repeat customer is coming to us for positive reasons. If they're coming to us for, oh, it's just too hard to switch, well, that's not a good reason. But understanding that they're coming back because of that will allow you to correct that. Okay. But anyway, let's talk about why a customer could be a repeat customer, not a loyal customer. Maybe you have a business that's just, let's use retail as an example. There's a store that I go to that's closer than their competitor. 
what happens if the competitor moves in closer than the store I've been going to? Maybe I'm loyal to this company or this brand because they always have the lowest price. But what happens if somebody comes in with a special sale or a lower price? I might lose that business. So we need to understand the why behind it. However, loyalty usually has this emotional connection where the customer says, I love doing business with them because, and they use the word love. And then that's a really good word, right? But not always, but you get the idea. Maybe it's, you know, they're always so friendly. They're always so helpful. They're always knowledgeable. The word always followed by something positive. That's how you know there's this, it's because they trust you. And trust is emotion. If you were in, you know, we're talking about airlines, frequent flyer miles, for example. Why do some people fly on one airline over another? Because they have all their frequent flyer miles with that airline and they want to accumulate more and more as opposed to spread it out because they like the perk of the free trip they get when they have enough points or miles. If the airlines were to all take away their miles and it was all just we're a great airline because of the way we do business, would you stay with that airline? So the stickiness comes from what the airlines call a loyalty program, which is really a marketing program or a frequent flyer program. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, all you're you're doing with them is giving them some type of physical incentive to stay with you and you're not looking at loyalty. And certainly for us, the same as yourself, when you're looking at loyalty, loyalty means a an emotional attachment. I have an emotional attachment to this organization. And again, I think you talk about this in the book, you will stay with that organization through thick and thin, through good and bad. Yep. That's the idea. I would hopefully thick and thin, good and bad. What is thick and thin and good and bad? Are we in an economic downturn? It's not bad because of the experience. It's bad because of conditions. Is there a pandemic that says, well, I can tell you how many of the businesses, there's several of them that I said, even during this really, really tough time, I want to give this company my business. They deserve it. They've been so good to me. I want to figure out a way to be really good to them. Yeah. I think certainly through the pandemic, you've actually seen them go to the opposite ends, haven't they? In the sense of the really good ones have stayed really good and got better. But I don't know about you guys, but I just finding the average customer experience at the moment just to be worse than it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, the bar was lowered. Yeah, yeah. Instead of hiring, and I'm just finding that there's sort of nothing in the middle now. It's either really good or really bad, basically. I don't know if that's just my bad luck over the last few weeks. Well, hopefully that's going to change for you. Yeah, you never know your luck. You never know your luck. Shep, can I ask you an abstract question? Because that's kind of my brand. Mm -hmm. From one perspective, focusing on why customers come back or when they come back, that should have already been the focus of businesses in this space, right? Like, why do I focus on wanting customers to have a good experience? Well, so they'll come back and shop for me. Uh, Why do I focus on asking customers how they feel or, you know, how pleased they were? Well, it's because I want them to come back. You've been working in this space a long time, thinking about it. So, why was this such an important topic for you? Like what makes this different from the way firms have been managing their customers' experiences in the past? Uh, or in other words, like why was this still news from your perspective and a source for enough insight to write another book on the topic? Wow, great question. You know what happens is I write every single week. I do two to three articles every week. 
I don't know where it keeps coming from. I just see it and spot it, an incident out there, a story out there. My brain is trained now to be looking for things. And I just write. And after a while, I realize I've written enough that I, I should probably consider another book. But in this case, going back to the very beginning of our interview, you asked why this book and this idea of I'll be back type of behavior and actually coming back resonated with me from all from this conversation I had with the CEO of a company that franchises hair salons. And I thought any company should be thinking like this. Every company, actually, not any company. As I looked at some of the content that I was coming up with, and there's a chapter in the book about how nothing has changed in customer service and experience. Customer comes to you with a problem and need. They want to buy a product. They talk to a salesperson, get customer support, whatever. And then at the end of the interaction, they want to be happy. Or maybe it's a set of interactions. And during this time, they want to be happy when it's all over. That hasn't changed. That's been the same since the beginning of of business. And it will continue if we're able to live another 100 years. I'll state it the same way I just stated it. But there is something that has changed. It's what's in the middle. We've never had so much digitization. I, I think that's a real word of the process. And companies are stepping up and they're creating self-service options, whether they're in the B2B world, B2C world, doesn't matter. They're giving customers a sense of control over being able to do business with them by allowing them to log into an account on their website and find out what's going on, get updated information, place a new order, whatever it is. That self-service, it's moving away from human-to-human contact, but done the right way, it creates a better experience for the customer as long as there's a a way back to the human whenever needed. You know, one of the chapters in there, you can't automate a relationship. That's an important chapter of the book. But the best companies have figured out how to balance the digitization and the automation of a customer experience with the human-to-human side of a customer experience. That's a great answer. Thank you. So, Shep, this has really been good. I'm conscious you and I could sit here and chat away for the next four hours, but unfortunately we can't. If you haven't got the book, I would suggest you go and get it. It is out. We talked about Amazon. Uh, it's going to be out on Amazon literally as we speak. And, Shep, if people wanted to get hold of you, how best do they do that? Well, hyken.com. It's pretty easy. H-Y-K-E-N.com. Just go there and you'll learn more about the book. You'll learn more about, we've got this great report on the state of customer service and experience. We call it achieving customer amazement. It's free. I love it when things are free. I don't hold anything back as far as sharing information, you know, and when I get enough of it, we can put it into a book, but there's lots of great articles. You so much to learn. So thanks for letting me share that. And thanks for letting me talk about the new book. I'm so excited. I hope everybody runs out and gets one today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks very much for being on the show, Shep. And um, we look forward to talking to you, the listener, next week. Hey, and you know what? I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly will. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. (laughs) Excellent. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.